0: and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all.
1: Welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. And today for Good Friday, we're reflecting on the death of Jesus Christ in a message entitled Jesus Through the Eyes of His Accusers. I wonder if you've ever had an experience like this. We made a visit to New York a few years back, and the day we arrived, we were walking along the street and a guy who passed us looked just like Jimmy Fallon. When we stopped at an intersection, Jennifer greeted him and asked, are you Jimmy Fallon? Well, he was, but it would have been so easy to miss him. He didn't look like a celebrity. He was wearing sneakers and jeans. There was no entourage, no bodyguards, and no Higgins or the Roots. I read of one woman who was a huge sports fan. She was shopping one day when she saw this big athletic guy and thought he looked familiar. She thought maybe he's a professional football player. So she went up to the other person in the store and asked if he knew who who he was. At which point he answered, that's my bodyguard, I'm Elton John. (laughs) We can miss what's right in front of us for different reasons. We make assumptions, we have prejudices, we have wrong information. People missed Jesus on Good Friday. They saw him, but they dismissed him. And we can do the same thing today. If you have your Bible handy, I wanna ask you to turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 16 to 32. If you don't have a Bible, you can click on the link in the comment below. Mark 15, starting at verse 16. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. This is the word of God. Now in this passage, Jesus' actual crucifixion is described in just three words. Verse 24 says, they crucified him. Little focus is given to describing the crucifixion because people were very familiar with it. But what Mark does want us to see is the people who dismiss Jesus because he knew that the same tendencies exist in all of our hearts. You may have dismissed Jesus as the savior of the world. You may have dismissed him as the son of God, or you may still accept those things, but still dismiss what he's trying to do in your life. Examine your own heart as we consider the people who dismissed Jesus. Now, when we arrive at verse 16, Pilate has just handed down the sentence. He's released Barabbas and handed Jesus over to be killed. And it says that the entire battalion is called over for a little fun. If Mark's using that word battalion in the technical sense, some 600 soldiers are gathered. Likely, he's just referring to everyone on duty at the time. But this is Israel's highest holy day, so there would have been a lot of them. The soldiers are Romans, not Jews, so they're not up on the high points of Jewish religion. But they've heard Pilate call Jesus the king of the Jews in verses 10 and 12, and they treat him like a big joke. In verse 17, they put a purple cloak on him, and they twist together a crown of thorns as if to say, you're not dressed apart for a king. A real king, presumably, would look more impressive. In verse 18, they salute him, chanting, Hail, King of the Jews! But then they beat his head repeatedly with a stick and then spit on him to show their utter disrespect. My question is, why do they do it? They don't have anything against Jesus, per se. He hasn't threatened them or offended them. They don't have religious objections to Jesus. What they do know is power and authority. And Jesus doesn't wield those like any ruler they've ever known. He must be an imposter. They dismiss Jesus because he doesn't look like a power broker. And people do the same thing today. Jesus avoided people's attempts to push him into power. He ministered to the outcasts and the rejects. He made no attempt to fight back. He didn't mount a case for his defense. And to the Roman soldiers, that meant weakness, not strength. And maybe that's how you see him. If Jesus shows you his power and throws his weight around to solve your problems, then maybe you'll trust him. But if he's all blessed are the meek and turn the other cheek, you're going to move on and find a real king. Don't dismiss Jesus because he doesn't look like a power broker. Now, in verse 29, there's another group of people who dismiss Jesus. The verse says, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. People are passing by because crucifixions were deliberately held along some of the busiest streets in and out of cities. The Romans wanted to humiliate those who crossed them, and also to strike fear into the hearts of anyone who might follow in their footsteps. They're shaking their heads in disrespect. The rest of the verse explains why. They say, aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Now, these people are different from the Roman soldiers. Unlike them, they've actually heard Jesus's claims. Someone who talked about rebuilding the temple, they must have in mind a whole new way of relating to God. They probably heard his teachings. They were probably aware of the people that he had healed. They may have even been there celebrating when he arrived in Jerusalem on the donkey. But what came of it all? Now he looks like a failure, can't even save himself. They dismissed Jesus because he doesn't look like a success story. And people do the same thing today. Some people look to the Bible for the secrets to success. They want tips to get ahead, principles to succeed, a path to the top or at least the tip, the tools to save yourself. But Jesus' life and his message were so different. Jesus taught, blessed are the poor, and the last will be first. He said that to inherit the kingdom of heaven, you had to first become like a little child. And his message is that people can't save themselves. Salvation is a gift that we receive through faith. Jesus chose not to save himself. He instead gave up his life to save you and me. And so if you're trying to save yourself and look to Jesus for success, eventually, like these passers-by, you'll end up dismissing him. You can only understand Jesus by receiving the eternal life that he offers and then learning to give your life away the way that he did. Don't dismiss Jesus because he doesn't look like a success story. Now, the third group of people who dismiss Jesus show up in verse 31. They're the chief priests and the scribes. They're the religious authorities. They're mocking Jesus to one another at first. And when we hear them, at first it sounds like they're the same as the passers-by. They say, he saved others. He cannot save himself. But then in verse 32, they add this. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. It sounds like a reasonable request. They just need more evidence. If Jesus will show his power by coming down from the cross, they'll trust him. The problem is that these are the people who've already seen it all. They've seen Jesus heal the sick, give sight to the blind, and enable the lame to walk. Jesus has walked on the water, fed the 5,000, and raised the dead to life. For the religious authorities to say to Jesus as he was dying on the cross, we just need more evidence, it just isn't honest. The fact is, they were beyond convincing. They just weren't willing to give up control in their lives. Let's face it, it's easier to say, I'm just not convinced then to say, I refuse to let God have authority in my life. I remember visiting a church once, and a woman introduced herself to me. She'd been in the church for over 20 years. And I asked her, how long have you been a Christian? And she said, oh, I'm not a Christian. Not yet, at least. I'm a seeker. (laughs) Now, that's not really an honest statement, right? If you've been in a church for a few months, or maybe even a few years, and you're still struggling to weigh the evidence and come to terms with your response to Jesus, I understand that. That was my story at one point. But if you've been exposed to the gospel message for a couple of decades, and you haven't responded to Jesus, you're not really a seeker anymore. You're a hardened resistor. For all the outward appearance of interest and religiosity, you're just not willing to accept the implications that Jesus is Lord. Don't dismiss Jesus because you're afraid of giving up control. Now, if you think this is this passage here is painting a bleak picture of humanity, in one sense it is. If these three groups of people, or really three categories of people, were all that there was, There's no way that we would ever communicate this time and call it Good Friday. What makes it so incredible is that Jesus died to provide forgiveness for people like this. He died for soldiers and showed them that there's power in weakness. There's power in humility. There's hope for the outsider. He died for people so bent on success that they saw Jesus as a failure. He showed them real success comes in giving your life away. He died for people who said they needed more evidence, but were really afraid of losing control. And three days later, when he rose from the dead, some of them would finally be convinced. Now, it would have been one thing for Jesus to die for good people, to die for moral people, the kind and the generous. But then you would just conclude that Jesus' salvation is a reward for good behavior. Instead, Jesus died for sinners so that you'd see that salvation is a free gift for those who don't deserve it. You're never too far gone. You're never beyond his saving. You're never past the hope of forgiveness. By turning from your sins and putting your faith in Jesus Christ, you're forgiven, pardoned and given the gift of eternal life. So turn to him today. Put your trust in him and receive the forgiveness and life that he offers. Don't dismiss him. He never dismissed you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if we're honest, we realize that so often it is the assumptions, the fears, the the grip in our heart for control, that keeps us from seeing Jesus for who he is, that keeps us from seeing all that he desires to do in in our lives. And so, Father, we pray that you would open our hearts. We look to Jesus now and we trust him. We want the power that he displayed in weakness. We want to show that same uh, humility. We want to walk in his path and be changed by him. So give us the courage to follow. Give us the courage to release control over our lives and invite Jesus's leadership. His Lordship. And may we follow where he leads. we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope this message has helped you understand the assumptions that can cause us to dismiss Jesus, but also the love that drove him to give his life for us. If it stirred up questions or you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. And if you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless, and see you next time.